Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is March 24th, 2015. Oh, my goodness. I think it's four years and, like, two days when I started this show. I'm sure it is. I think it was March 22nd, 2011. Uh, and I am so excited to have Gabrielle Glaser on the show tonight and today. I'm on the West Coast. She's on the East Coast all the way live from New Jersey. So Gabrielle Glaser started her career as a news assistant at the New York Times in Washington, D.C. She worked as a reporter at the Associated Press in Baltimore, Maryland, and Warsaw, Poland. Um, from Eastern Europe, she reported for the Economist and, God, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me tonight, <laughs> the Dallas Morning News, the Village Voice, and National Public Radio. Since the 1990s, Gabrielle has examined social, cultural, and national health trends for the New York Times, the New York Times Magazine, Health, and the Oregonian in Portland, where she was a staff writer. Um, she just recently appeared on Chris Hayes' show, MSNBC Live, that went really viral with all of the uh, steppers and ex-steppers. She appeared in The Sober Truth on CBS 48 Hours that aired in November, which you can see online if you just put that in, The Sober Truth. And she appears in my film as well, The 13th Step, which is coming out. And she wrote her best-kept secret, Why Women Drink and How They Can Regain Control. It was put out by Simon & Schuster. So we will just bring Gabrielle on. Hi there. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, your bio got me like stuttering, and I don't know what. It's never happened. Oh, please. 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 I was like, please. what is with my. <laughs> anyway, it's okay. Thank you it's so much. It's been a long week. Yeah, it's me too. I'm just. Uh... It's been a long week, and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> That's how I feel as well. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. 25 welcome. years. Yeah, that's wow. a long time. It's 
a that's really a long time. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Your your stories uh, are really these articles that just came out. The one on the Atlantic, and uh, yes, the Atlantic piece is uh, was really. Uh, I think it's over eight thousand comments right now. Right. Yeah, and that's it, what I heard. You don't that's go over there I and read. I, I, <laughs> you know what? I initially when when something comes out initially I do read the comments mm-hmm. and I get a little bit like oh my god I can't believe this person said this and then I, and then I just for my mental health I've just kind of learned that it's just almost better to to stay away from it because I don't I I just don't need to see the attacks because right. in general they're they're not it's just not good for my mental health. I know what people are saying. I know what the you know I know what I know what people who disagree with me are going to say, um, mm. and and chances are they're not going to be doing it civilly. So because um, they haven't been civil to me at all in, mm-hmm. in this, since this piece came. Actually, some people have. That's not true. But yeah. but so I just, you know, for mental health purposes, I just kind of, I glance at them every once in a while, but I don't go read them. Have yeah, you? that's why I, mean, I think you. Been, you've been. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I read it, and then I go away from it. And then, you know, it went over to Marianne Williamson's Facebook, and that went a little crazy because somebody, you know, gave me some, uh, you know, they said, oh, look what's going on over here. And I was like, oh, my God. And we thought that they deleted my post that I wrote, and then it, maybe they put them back. But anyway, I think that it's what's happened for the first time is that, well, not the first time, because it's certainly with Carla Brada's story, which you, you know, certainly have covered on ProPublica and different, right? It was on, that was where it first, the first yeah, time you started right? on, on ProPublica, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, was that um, after that, um, what basically we saw how I guess vitriol it would be the word you know and vile they could vitriol be. right 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 vitriolic oh, yeah and uh, it was really horrible because I'm close to Yaro and Hector and I couldn't believe the kind of things they were saying about Carla who was like dead and not only dead but she was murdered and it was really uh, but then I thought then the 48 hours piece and they were they were on Facebook and then I guess the CBS reporters could see what AA members were looking like because they were really you know the same way there but I. I think that this is really big because, you know, A likes to say we don't get into any controversy. We don't want to. And in right. all of these posts, including the one that was a rebuttal by Tommy Rosen uh, for the Huffington Post, you know, this is in the title. So let's talk about, we, we want to start with the Atlantic piece of why you decided to write this piece and how this came about. Well, okay, as you know, I wrote this book, Her Best Kept Secret, Why Women Drink and How They Can Regain Control. And that's how you and I met. And and the the strange thing is that the 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 whole notion of women drinking more really kind of fell into my lap. An editor friend and I were talking about it, and she said, "Why don't you look into it? Send me a proposal." Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at why women were drinking more, and some of the reasons for it, and and you know, marketing to women, more stress our complicated lives, we're managing more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really not having had exposure to the recovery world, yeah. I was almost all the way through my book when I started. I just figured, oh, well, there'll be a recovery chapter. Everybody knows what recovery looks like. And then I started 
going to some meetings. I went to some meetings close to my house, the one that you and I went to um, not far from my house. I started going to some meetings in the city. I start, And then I went to meetings in Portland. I went to a meeting in Napa Valley. And it, it really kind of struck me as perplexing that this was the way this very faith-based approach was mm-hmm. how we as a nation – the, the the kind of monolithic approach that we had to recovery in this country was this faith based this faith based program, mm-hmm. and I it really surprised me because on one hand I had been told that the condition of of problem drinking is really a, a is really a disease. And I didn't really believe that. I was starting to to look at that more, much more skeptically. Um, mm-hmm. I do believe that there's a genetic vulnerability for some people uh, um, that, that some people have in a you know combination of environment and psychology and, and genetic their genes expressing a certain way. They might be more vul- vulnerable to to developing severe alcohol dependence, but it's certainly not a disease in the way AA described it. So when mm-hmm. I started looking at this critically and looking as a journalist for the evidence behind okay, well, how well does AA work? I remember one woman at a meeting talking about still longing for the taste of hot gin. I'll never forget this. She, she, it was, she, was, talking, she was talking about, you know, 26 years of sobriety. And I'm oh. not denig- – I really – I don't want to denigrate people's sobriety in the program. If it works for them, that's great. And not all AA members – Mm-hmm. Are, are you, you know are are angry? I mean, so, I've right. gotten lots of lots of feedback from people who are in the program. They acknowledge it's not the only way. They acknowledge they've they've seen disturbing things. People mm-hmm. ordered off their meds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I'm right. a little off topic here. Um, so I just remember the one thing that really struck me is a woman said, "I've been sober 26 years, but I still remember the taste of hot gin on a hot August day." That was my bottom. I was dropping my kids off somewhere, and I kept a gin bottle, a Tanqueray bottle, underneath my driver's seat. And I'd reach out and, you know, take a swig of that, and and it was hot and muggy, and the gin was mm-hmm. hot. And I still remember how delicious that was. And I thought to myself, well, if you're still saying this 26 years later, you know, how have you healed? You're not drinking, right. but how have you healed, and what was making you drink like that in the first place? Mm-hmm. And so I started to look skeptically at this treatment method, as you know. And that's when I met you, and the more I started to look, the more I found, the the, the less evidence I found for it working, as well as we believed it, it worked in popular society, our medical establishment embraced it. Our legal establishment embraced it. So I wrote this book. I, I looked at some alternative treatments, but not a, not that many. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't really aware of the full array of them. I wrote a little bit about them. I wrote why AA could be inappropriate for women because of the sexual predation, which is so common there, as your documentary, The 13th Step, points out. Right. And the book came out, and I had such an outpouring of response from women and men mm-hmm. who said, wow, I thought I was the only one. I didn't know that, you know, I I, 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 I was unaware that 
I thought I was the only one. I thought I was defective, et cetera. Et cetera. I didn't know there were alternative treatment methods. And right. you also had taught, told, told me about Claudia Christian. So I yeah. got to know Claudia a little bit by phone, and I researched. Uh, I, I'd known about naltrexone. I'd written about it in, in the book, but I didn't know about the Sinclair method. And so I, or I, I knew about it, but not very much. So mm-hmm. I was just so overwhelmed with even a year after the book had come out people were writing to me people were calling me where can i get help do you know wow. you know i have a, a nephew who needs help i need this resource i need that resource so i thought i should explore this on a much more profound level yeah. and for a much wider audience because my book was marketed to women yeah and it was about women it was marketed to women so that's how i I, I just really came up with a really strong proposal, really looking into the, the research, into the evidence base that that didn't exist to show mm-hmm. right. AA's efficacy. I'm not saying it doesn't work. You know, I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, you're claiming AA doesn't work. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying the data do not exist right. to justify the level to which we have embraced this as the number one treatment approach in the United mm-hmm. States. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, well, it's such, so it's such that's a low percentage. It, yeah. That's brought you to the Atlantic right. then. Mhm. Um how long did it take I, I just how long did it take from the beginning of when oh. you started to work on that piece to when it oh. I think I wrote the proposal, started writing the proposal maybe in May. I delivered it to them in June. And when you write a magazine proposal today, especially for a magazine like The Atlantic, they're really, you know, they're really, really a serious, wonderful publication, a terrific institution, and I wanted it to be as good as it possibly could be. So I delivered a really, really strong, you know, um, sort of bulletproof proposal with a ton of science in it and a lot of resources and you know here's who I would talk to about this here's where I would go with for this and I also included in the proposal that I wanted to go to Finland to juxtapose mm-hmm. our system what I wanted to do was find someone who had been sort of victimized by our treatment approach you know right. someone like an Amy Lee Coy I mentioned her in the piece yeah yeah somebody who'd been good. to somebody who'd been to rehab over and over again and mm-hmm. who finally found science and was 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 totally better right so right. i wanted to juxtapose it with someone who'd been through our treatment system program our treatment system with someone who just boom automatically found the scientific approach that that Finland used and got better Mm-hmm. And that was really easy to do. That to, that took honestly that was the easiest part of the of the proposal. But to answer your question, it I started probably in late May and the piece ran in March. So it took almost a year. It was almost like writing a book. It really was. It was just it took a lot of time and and effort, but it really paid off because the response has been overwhelming and I think so many people are are desperate for the news that they can get help in different ways. Yeah, and the, I think the thing that's been good about it, one of the things that I defend you when I see people write certain things about you is that I'll say, you know, she went into this really innocently. 
it wasn't like me that I was mad and I was upset about the sexual predation and they were, you know, with you, you innocently were, were writing this book about why and, you know, oh, how, and there you went down to, you know, the AA road and found out, you know, people like Dee Dee Stout and myself and so that you weren't somebody with an axe to grind and so they were really wrong about that part of it, you know what I mean? Like you were looking at it at a journalistic point of view, right? Exactly. Exactly. And someone, yeah, erroneously and very regrettably, I was not happy about this at all, um, wrote that I had been in AA and I knew how badly, you know, how badly, how, how, how badly it failed people and it had failed me. So, I mean, something like, well, something that was really untrue on, right. on the internet and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it, first of all, that's libelous because um, yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. true. And right. secondly, it really discredits me as a journalist to say that, Oh, you know, I had an axe to grind because I didn't. I honestly, right. truly, truly, truly thought, oh, okay. Well, I'm. I know the book is taking me a long time, but I'm just going to do a quick rehab, um, you know, quick uh, ending on rehab, and and everybody knows how that ends. Oh, and there's another thing I forgot to tell you. I went to a rehab center for all women. I had seen something, and now in retrospect, I understand why. I saw what I saw. I think it was on mm-hmm. 2020, and it was a show by Elizabeth Vargas mm-hmm. about how women, why women were drinking more. Oh, and also there had been that terrible accident in upstate right. New York. A woman right. was totally blitzed. That was another thing that led me to write yeah. the book and, and kind of, you know, raise the profile of female drinking, a problem, problematical female drinking. So I'd seen this show on 2020 about um, rehab for women. And I thought, okay, well, I should go do that for the proposal, too. I, I need to go look at rehab for women. And I, yeah. I went to this place. I'm not going to name it. But I went to this place. It was a female-only um, center. It mm-hmm. cost, I don't know how much a month, 48000 something like wow. that. It was, a hundred, it was and, they, and what they wanted you to do was come for three months. They had equine therapy. They had, like, mindfulness little walks with marbles they had they had uh gosh i don't know like detoxifying acupuncture and i as, as somebody <laughs> somebody who who writes about mm-hmm. science and medicine i thought you have got to be kidding me detoxifying acupuncture acupuncture is used for many, many, many things. But detoxifying acupuncture, you're paying $100,000 to get de- detoxifying acupuncture. Yeah. And yeah. horses are great. I love animals. I grew up on a farm. I'm mm-hmm. all for horses. There's no science behind equine therapy. What the hell is, can I say that? I mean, what the hell is this? You can swear so on I here. Also, <laughs> yeah, so I also, knew, I also knew that it was a racket, that rehab was a racket. So... Mm-hmm. So that 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 also, but I I didn't I wasn't I still hadn't put it all together, you know I still I still hadn't put all together just how ineffective it was and the right. point the point about our system is that if it if it if you fail at a thirty day rehab and this is what you know Carla God love her God rest her soul. This mm-hmm. is what happened to Carla. She went once. It didn't stick. The program clearly didn't work for her. Mm-hmm. And she went back. Now, right. under what circumstance, in what other realm of medicine, would you go back for the same treatment twice without getting a second opinion, 
right. without doing something different. There, I mean, you just go back for more of the same treatment. Sometimes you go back, if, it's, if, if rehab, quote, doesn't stick for 30 days, then sometimes people go back for 90. That's like... Oh, you're... Uh, well, there's nothing happening there. It's, uh, the thing that I found out through the work, too, in making the film that I was unaware of, because I didn't believe in rehab, but that all they did was AA, like that she had groups, and then I went on the website, and then there wasn't any bios, and there wasn't any PhDs or MFCCs. And the first place I went was to Practical Recovery in San Diego, where I met Tom Horvath, where everybody Tom there... Uh-huh you know, had a, a letters after their name, and they were trained, and they were using, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing, which were new words to me then. They they didn't use right. the words that I used, and it was the words like problematic problematic drinking, and, you know, they didn't use the word alcoholism, and, you know, I was so refreshed. Right. I was like, whoa, I mean, God, I would have, like, brought my father here if I would have known such a thing existed. And um, right. I think people don't realize what you're – I mean, I think it's really bad that if you spend this kind of money and that the Department of Justice pays for some of this stuff, too. Like, when I found that out, that the people come out of the, you know, the, the jails or they, they make a deal, that there are some rehabs that are set up. They're getting money, and they're going into rehab where it's all AA. I mean, there isn't right. really any science going on. There's not kindness either. They treat, They talk really crappy to them. And very abusive. Right. Right. And and we as taxpayers are clearly paying. That's another reason I wanted to write the Atlantic piece. As taxpayer as taxpayers under the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. sixty two million Americans now have access to substance use and mental health care. Oh my god. Now we don't have sixty two sixty two million people do not need Right. Access to substance use care. 18 million people are on the spectrum of the alcohol use disorder spectrum. So mm-hmm. that's only a fraction of those people. And then I think maybe another five or six million have drug mm-hmm. um, problems, and there's a lot of crossover. And, and of course, more people need mental health parity. But we need to be demanding evidence based mm-hmm. treatment. Right. We're now getting this benefit from the government. We need to be demanding this. We would not demand we would not if if you were going for breast cancer treatment mm-hmm. and let's just put it this way, let's say you had cancer and you were going to a cancer center for treatment of your particular cancer. Mm-hmm. And they didn't publish the results of their experimental treatments, their remission rates. What they did, if they didn't publish those, would you go there? No. Right. Would yeah. you go, if you were seeking under federal law, cancer centers, all cancer centers, whether it's a, a regional cancer center in Kentucky or whether it's a gigantic, you know, world-renowned center like um, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City, those centers are bound by the federal government to publish their success rates, their remission rates, the death rates, who die, how many of our patients right. die from this, what is the remission rate, what treatments we use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing with fertility centers. That's something else that I learned because that's another big money maker. And people, mm-hmm. when they're desperate to have children, right. they'll spend money. They get, you know, they kind of get desperate. And there's also that's there's also some stigma attached to infertility not like there is for for alcohol 
use disorder. It's different. Right. It's a different kind. But right. but the federal government also demands that fertility centers publish the success rates for women under 40, for women under 35, for women using, you know, whether it's a um, an egg donor. You ha- you you go down. It's 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 right there on the website. And right, rehab right. centers, and rehab centers. Which they're we're perfect. paying for with our insurance premiums, right. and and you know the Tony ones, of course, are not paid for by Medicare and Medicaid, but mm-hmm. they don't. It's a black hole, no success rates. Don't bother asking. Don't bother okay. asking. We have a. We, yeah, I mean it's silly. So here's here's what uh, I mean. I really started to dig, and I recently got my renewal from my you know healthcare. I'm on Anthem Blue Cross, which is the same as Carla uh-huh. had which paid Action Family $1,000 a day. And so I looked under wow. value options, and under it, it said covered under the hospital, like hospital, whatever. And here's the part that I think, and because I was in AA a long time and I was back there in the 70s when the rehab started to grow, I know that they got in there. So this is about the regulations with rehab. The problem is is that they're paying, insurance companies are paying, like it's a hospital, yet they're they're not regulated, Gabrielle, like hospitals. So these fucking rehabs are under the radar, as sober livings are too. Another big problem. But let's right. stick with rehab because the federal government is actually people are their Anthem Blue Cross is paying a thousand dollars a day for a bed on the floor in a place that always right. is getting their AA meetings, right? So I really hear you. I think it was really important that you brought that in, and that was why you wanted to do it, right? That there but that was a, yeah, I, I kind of forgot about that because that was one of the big reasons, you know, for why is this so timely now? And the reason is, okay, people, guess what? Hello, under the Affordable Care Act, you have this benefit. Are you paying for something that works? Are we paying as tax dollars for something that works? Or are we paying for the same old recipe that has not been shown to be effective in any sort of scientific trial? Right. So how do we undo it? It's really infested. It's really, well, really bad. I think we undo it by having these conversations openly and and, and loudly and mm-hmm. by demanding more and by educating ourselves as consumers. Okay, what works? Here we know AA has a very low success rate, but here's right. what does work. Now, there's something called Behavioral Therapy Associates. Reed Hester, who is an incredible source of mine, an amazing man. He is one of the, the board members of Moderation Management. He mm-hmm. um, developed an app uh, for your listeners. People should know about this, moderate, www.moderatedrinking.com. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked with a, 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 he's a psychologist in New Mexico, and he and one of his colleagues, Bill Miller, who developed motivational interviewing, developed a list. They lo- they made an analysis of what works. It came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I can send you the link. I'll send you the yeah. link. Yeah. I'd love to have um, these guys on the radio show. Uh, yeah. I'll send, you the link. Right I'll send now. you the link. Out. But, but essentially yeah. the top three things that work mm-hmm. were – in 2003, and again, I mean, this is, you know, it, it's being updated, but it hasn't been published yet because this is a very expensive study to do. And yeah. the things that work, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, couples counseling, mm-hmm. um, a compensate, which is the um, 
which helps reduce cravings. But they, I don't know what they're, they're naltrexone was a little bit down on the list, I believe. But um, AA was 38 out of 48 um, therapies they tested. AA was yeah. 38. We know that. They don't want I mean, to hear the science, you know, you know what I mean? They just uh, they don't want to hear the science. Yet they're, the thing that I like about the piece, both pieces, all of the pieces, and there's been uh, surely a lot of them that you've gotten, pub- you know, gotten published over the last year, is that now there are people who AA didn't work for and left who have, so we're not on the blogs hidden. We've moved away from stinking thinking for those bloggers. They know right. who that is and orange papers onto real platforms of real news, whether it's right. the Huffington Post, the Atlantic, the Daily Beast. And so we're having a conversation on a platform where many people are willing to show their names or they're not, but that you can't fight, and you can't call people names, you'll get deleted, that you have to have an intelligent conversation on the Atlantic in your comments or on the Daily Beast. So it's forcing and allowing people who've walked away, people who were harmed, people who didn't work for not just the AA people who can promote it, right, and say, well, it worked for me. And I'm like, I don't care about you. You know, what about the other right. 95 people out of 100 that it didn't work for? And right. that is something compared to a year ago, even, Gabrielle, was not happening. This is a huge growth to have that many comments and have a conversation of pro and ex-steppers who hate AA. Right. All well, and, and we're getting there. Listen, I had... The reaction to this piece, Monica, has been amazing. I was on Radio New Zealand today. Um, The BBC Mm -hmm. called. um, Mm -hmm. An Australian journalist called. Mm -hmm. uh, Radio Calgary called. I mean, this is is spreading all over the English-speaking world because Mm -hmm. AA took hold in the English-speaking world. And so what we're able to do is say, okay, all right. It's one thing to point out that we don't. The, the the data simply aren't there to to reinforce our embrace of this method. But here's what we you know here's what does work: cognitive behavioral therapy, harm reduction. One thing that has been repeated to me over not over and over, but I spoke to a woman. I did a piece for Reader's Digest. I mean, that just goes to show you how far we've come. Reader's yeah. Digest published mm-hmm. a piece on alternative methods. Right. And one woman I spoke to um, who I'd gotten from harm reduction from HAMS, from Kenneth Anderson's group HAMS in, in Brooklyn. Right. She was so, she, I mean, first she was looking, her, she, her brother had a drinking problem, and he didn't like AA, and he was an atheist. And then she, she sort of realized, you know, she was drinking a lot, too, and the downturn came, 2008, 2009. She was starting to self-medicate. She was drinking a bottle of wine a night, mm-hmm. and that was leading to more than a bottle of wine. She was topping it off with vodka. Mm-hmm. And she found she found hams for her brother, and it worked, yeah. and she tried it for herself. And here is something. This is straight-up cognitive behavioral therapy. The thing that worked for her, and this is so fascinating to me, Mm-hmm. She did the hams approach, you know, how to reduce your drinking, I think the book is called. I think Kenneth's book is called. Um, hold on, I have it right here. Let me just check. Uh, I mean, I can pull how it up. To change your yeah, how to, how, to, how to change your drinking. But one thing that worked for her, and I, I tell this to people, and they, they look at me like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. But one method, one of the tools in the toolkit is, 
once you stop, you, you abstain for 30 days, and then you reintroduce drinking. And, I, you know, they tell you to be, you know, try to moderate. But then, you know, it's harm reduction. So you can drink like you used to drink, but, but take a log of how you used to drink. Mm-hmm. Take a log. Make a mental note of your drinking as you're drinking. So this woman, I'll call her Jane, mm-hmm. um, took, uh, uh, you know, started at her usual drinking time, let's say 6.30. She had a glass of wine, and she wrote about her feelings and her thoughts and her cognitive processes and her her abilities her to function mm-hmm. while she was having the drink or after she had the drink. And then she had another right. drink, and she did the same thing. She wrote wrote down her thoughts and her feelings and her abilities after the second drink, after the third drink, and after the fourth drink. And she realized after the fourth drink, after the second drink, really, yeah, her cognitive processes were really sort of shot. She's very mm-hmm. tiny. Really mm-hmm. sort of shot. She could hardly read her handwriting. <laughs> and what... And she was preventing herself by continuing to drink. She was preventing herself from, she was trading immediate pleasure for long-term satisfaction and happiness. Mm-hmm. Because what really brought her satisfaction and happiness was the ability to cook. She really enjoys cooking. She really enjoys reading and reading, you know, complex 19th century early 20th century novels, right. and she really enjoyed playing her guitar and making music. Mm-hmm. And what she realized very, very clearly in her own scrawled handwriting after the fourth drink right. is, oh, that doesn't sound, that's not, that's not so smart. <laughs> I can't do these things. I, can't, I am unable to do these things after the second drink. I can't play music. I can't cook very well. I don't remember what I made. I don't enjoy it as much. I eat too much. Then I eat too much sugar. I gain weight. I mean, all mm-hmm. these things that sound re- really simple. Right. But for her, it was as, it, it was in black and white. She put it on her refrigerator and it was a reminder. Simple behavioral reminder. Okay, when you have more than two drinks, this is what's going to happen. Right, now, doesn't right. that sound like like totally sensible to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, I want, only because of time. We have ten minutes left. I want to just switch gears because this other piece is really chilling about the doctors and killing themselves. I have, I, I have, I have, I have ten more minutes. You have ten more minutes, right? So yep. I no, no, I mean, but more. I have ten more minutes than I thought. I have, I have, so we can go until uh, four twenty-five your time, if if that. We can't because I can't change it. Once you come in here, I set the time before okay, I begin the okay, show. Okay, okay, okay. All right, okay, so we're going to be okay. on again. We're going to be on again. Let's just do it again. And also Tommy Rosen said once he's back from India, he would be willing to do sort of a debate show, which I think would be great. Okay? <laughs> we'll do that. Okay, sure. All right. Um, but everybody's in there listening. So let's just talk. Just We'll just touch on this really, really sad part of uh, the doctors killing themselves. Can you talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one part that I discovered in, in all of this, and, and you led me to this, is that physicians, along with pilots, if they're thought to be impaired, they're often reported by coworkers, sometimes anonymously, for having some sort of substance or alcohol issue. And rather than 
rather than being allowed to avail themselves of modern science, right. many of these people are, many doctors are forced into physician health programs, which mandate night, no matter how serious your problem is, if you are severely dependent, which probably you're not going to be as a doctor because mm-hmm. it's really hard to function when you're very severely dependent, but no matter where you are on the scale of alcohol use disorder, again, designed by doctors, um, you end up in rehab for 90 days at something called a physician health program. And then you have to be monitored for five years after that okay. at your own cost. In in general, the rehab is, is coming out of your own pocket, and the cost of monitoring is also coming out of your own pocket. And there are some financial interests here, which we can explore another time, but if you fail one of those tests or if you decide in the case of this guy, Greg Madej, and look, he, he, he did have a drinking problem. It was really hard for him. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't offered. He knew about other programs, behavioral therapy programs, he wrote about them, but he wasn't offered them wow. as a physician. And he felt that he, he he went on vacation. He was about to start a really grueling schedule. He went on a three-day weekend with a girlfriend. He'd been, you know, three years really trying hard to stay sober. He'd been mandated to 90 days at an Illinois facility. He managed to pass sobriety tests, or not sobriety tests, but, you know, alcohol tests. Yeah, drug testing. Yeah, Yeah. the drug testing. He passed those. But he went on this vacation with a nurse who he believed was going to report him back to his PHP if he didn't do it himself. And he feared for the loss of his license. And um, he just couldn't bear the thought of 90 more days in rehab and five more years of abstinence, which was really, really, really hard for him. And he needed... He needed better med- mental health treatment. Period. Full stop. Oh, 90 yeah. days of ninety days of inpatient twelve-step rehab was not Ugh. the answer to his problems. No, no, and, and you know what? It's brilliant... not only not mental health, Gabrielle. It makes you fucking crazier. Some of those well, people in AA who were—I uh, mean, it's—it's it's really bad. I yeah, think it's, I mean, it's this really guy bad. was a brilliant, brilliant physician who read classical Greek literature. He was an art history major who managed to still do all of his pre-med stuff. He graduated from college in three years. This guy was brilliant, brilliant. And he was pigeonholed and railroaded into a system that did not work for him. Mm -hmm. And this makes me so angry. It did not work for him. Yeah, this is it the part that did not work for him. No, and no, and his and, he he felt so bleak and so demoralized, and he's not the only one. He is I not know. the only one. He felt so demoralized mm-hmm. by this process so that he killed himself. Uh, I, I, you know what? I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't know about that. Um, I mm-hmm. think at this point they're just trying to raise awareness. His parents are both doctors, and they're trying to raise awareness for 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 other options for doctors who need mental health treatment. Yeah, I have a doctor that uh, I think we have a pilot in the chat room. In fact, I know I do. But the pilots now we have twelve pilots. For anyone's listening, Brent Wyrock, you can go W E Y R O U C H. If you can't, just you can always email me at 
makeasafer at gmail.com. That's makeasafer at gmail.com. Don't be afraid of the email. It's an old email from when I was in AA. Trying to make it safer, <laughs> but now I'm fighting to change what's going on with pilots and doctors and nurses. So we have a nurse who's very outspoken, and she and I are in communication. She's from Philadelphia, and I think she goes as Lily Rose on Facebook, but she's wonderful. And it really, you know, these stories are its really gripping. And i I got to tell you that I want to stop the court ordering of violent offenders and sex offenders. I want to stop all DUIs being sent to AA. And then this section with the pilots and doctors and nurses really feels like another film. It feels like I've reached out to a really good documentary filmmaker who's won Academy Awards, and he wants to see your article um, about the doctors. And so I'm going to send that off to him today. But I think that if it's so scary what they do, like, first of all, people don't need 90 days. Nobody, like, that's why alternatives is so cool. Like, people can go really for a week. Right. An outpatient, right. like you could go nine to five, and most people who most people are not like Bill Wilson was, who was a loser, who was like a falling down drunk, who it was hopeless of the hopeless. Like even that type of alcohol dependent person in our culture today is, you know, really down on the spectrum, and that people who are beginning to like the old women you you write about in your book who are like this upscale that are drinking a bottle or two of wine, and they go, oh my God, I need to change this. You know, right. it really takes a lot to become alcohol dependent. I've learned after, after right. all this exactly. research, it's a ex- lot of booze ex- you got to exactly. be plugging. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, at one point, you know, during a period of severe anxiety, I was probably drinking three glasses of, of wine a day before I knew anything about AA or any any of this. I was thinking, oh my God, does this make me an alcoholic? And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it, it takes you like four times as much to become alcohol dependent. But one thing I want to bring up. There's a group called ARCA Midwest, and they also deal, A-R-C-A Midwest, mm-hmm. they deal with a lot of people. They use naltrexone. It's a clinic. You go in for a week. Um, mm. You get Vivitrol um, mm. for folks mm. in the Midwest who don't want to have to, to, to um, uh, uh, go to either coast. Um, right, that's also right. an option. And, and, you know, we just, have to, we just have to let people know these options exist. And, yeah. and the Greg Madays, the pilots, the the doctors, they're not getting access to that, and it's criminal. Yeah, it is. Well, that's why they're they're doing the lawsuit. So if you hear of any pilot, um, I think the word is out. You can, you know, just tell them to contact me or Brent. And it, certainly, they're moving ahead with the lawsuit. There's, you know, a bunch of lawyers have got come together because there's certainly a lot of quite of money there. Brent said it was lost about a million dollars, and many of the pilots that I spoke to uh, at one point were making almost three hundred thousand dollars a year. And, wow! Uh, you know, and one guy who it was really interesting because there's one guy who's kind of like kind of tough and sounding, and you know, had sort of he didn't sound depressed in his voice, and so I I kind of felt like he was always okay. And then another guy was really depressed, and so I thought, well, let me call so and so, you know. And I just picked up the phone and I called him, and he I said, how you doing? And he goes. You know, and I'm not really doing very well. You know, I'm really, and he just—it was like, I thought he was, you know, just one of those that wouldn't the depression wouldn't get him. And you know, quite frankly, it was one of the more depressing interviews I did was when I came back from interviewing the pilot after I did the interview in Sacramento, and uh, to the point I couldn't watch the footage. I said, "My God, we have 90 seconds left, mm. girl. We are just going to have to have you on again." Sooner, you alone for a whole hour, okay? And then we'll do oh, the debate. Oh, uh, anytime. 
Anytime. Um, I, Anytime. I, let me just give you a little commercial. We were talking to Gabrielle Glaser, and she wrote her best-kept secret, Why Women Drink and How They Can Regain Control. Go to her website. It's Gabrielle Glaser, G-L-A-S-E-R.com. It has all of her links, all of her articles, the one on the Atlantic, on the one on the – share everything. Okay, guys, share, tweet, <laughs> social media, <laughs> fingers, thumbs up it. Gabrielle, it Thank was a you. pleasure. I love you. Thank you. You can also look you. on my alternatives. You can also look on a page I have for alternatives. Thank you so much, Monica. Uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, and good night. Okay, everybody, okay. did you hear that? Okay, she night. said that on her website there is a thing that says – Al- sobering up alternatives for women is that one no, or uh, no? alternatives there's a there's a drop down menu on the left hand side that says alternatives to aa okay good very good i love you gabrielle glacier on monica richardson for so black much. talk okay. radio i'll talk to you again everybody good night i'll see you again next week good night gabrielle bye good night bye